Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Because the Canaanites weren't driven out in Joshua's time completely, this became a snare to the children of Israel a few hundred years later. So you can see how one act of rebellion and one, 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 a lack on their part would cause them such grief and duress. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. We're so glad that you could join us today for our Bible study in the book of Joshua, chapter 16. As we start out, Pastor Rob reviews how the nation of Israel did not follow God's plan when they took some of the cities given to them by God's promise. We can understand why Jerusalem was a city hard to conquer. The fact that it was set on a hill made it easy to defend. Yet no matter how hard the struggle is, with God's promises and His help, we can be victorious. There is really no excuse for why this city must stay in Canaanite hands until the time of David. Disobedience has consequences. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. Let's open our Bibles tonight to Joshua chapter 16. If you remember earlier in the book of Joshua, we, we saw that after the, the tribes had come through the, uh, come through the Jordan and they came into the land, they conquered land in the central part of the country, and then they went uh, and uh, continued conquering in the south, and then they continued their campaign in the northern part of, of Canaan or uh, at, at that time. And, uh, and then after that, th- there, was, there was a time when Joshua began to partition the land according to these 12 tribes. And you recall that before they actually passed over the Jordan River, that there were two and a half tribes that were very comfortable on the other side, on the east side of the Jordan River, specifically Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, and you can see it. For those of you listening on the radio, this is uh, just a map of the the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we're looking at uh, Reuben. Uh, uh, in the south, and then Gad along the Jordan River on the east, and then Manasseh up there by the Sea of Galilee and up up close to Mount Hermon on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan. And then, um, and then in the next several chapters, beginning in chapter 14, we see the settlement of those other tribes. I'm sorry, the uh, yes, the, the other tribes, they are going to settle on the western side of the Jordan River. And so, um, actually I told you a lie there, <laughs> sorry about that. In Joshua chapters 14 through 17, that's really where 
uh, Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh, they, the, those two and a half tribes, they begin to get into their allotments there on the western side. And then later on, uh, probably next week, we'll get into the other seven and a half tribes, where they are going to be. And so this is a really happy time for the children of Israel because they've been through a lot of battle, and now they have got this happy time of just settling in. And you know the feeling when you've been through a battle or maybe you've been through something very difficult in your life and finally you've got respite and there's a a time of rejoicing, maybe a time of uh, celebration. And this is the kind of time that it really is for them. It's a happy time. It's a good time. They've done the major battles. They haven't done all of them. They haven't been completely, they haven't completely eradicated the land like they were commanded to do. They, They got the big centers of people. The big centers of the Canaanites, they, they went in and they destroyed everything. And God did that because of their sin. He had given them several hundred years to repent of their sin. And wouldn't you agree with me that with a person or with a, a group of people, God has the right after years and years and years of them knowing that these things are not right, that sacrificing your children and sexual immorality, these things are wrong. Even within the heart of man, they know what's wrong. And yet they continued and they continued and they continued. And there does come a time, unfortunately, where God says, you've crossed the line. He did that with his own people. You remember in Jeremiah chapter 7 when the the, uh, ten tribes in the north had already been taken captive. And now Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, they're coming in on Judah and Benjamin and coming into Jerusalem. And there came a point, it's recorded for us in Jeremiah chapter 7, where Jeremiah starts to pray. And God says, you know what, Jeremiah, don't pray for this people anymore. They've gone too far. They've crossed that Rubicon. There's, there's no going back. It's the point of no return. The enemies are already on their way for judgment. And so there does come that awful time when God does bring judgment. He does bring judgment. But I want you to notice something here in uh, Joshua. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 16 tonight, but I want you to look at the very last verse of chapter 15. Turn to chapter 15, if you would, and look at the very last verse, verse 63. And this verse is speaking of Judah, because Judah was one of those tribes uh, that, um, that were given their land. But notice what it says in the very last verse of their, uh, of their allotment for land. It says that, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. To this day. And see, let me ask you a question. Was that God's plan? For them to dwell with the Canaanites? It wasn't. His plan was for them to destroy them completely. And again, that's really hard in a a culture like today because people will cast judgment upon God for having such an awful thing to do. But again, does he have the right to bring judgment upon a people? He did it to his own people. See, God chastens those whom he loves, and he will destroy those who don't know him that have gone over the line. And he knows when that line is, and he knows when that time is, and his timing is perfect. We ought never to cast judgment upon God for what he does. His ways are right. We may not understand, and we often don't understand, but that's okay because he is God and we are not. And so we have to trust him. We have to trust him. 
But notice that it says they could not drive them out. And see, this was the predicament of the children of Israel as they would take possession of the land. They wouldn't completely drive out the inhabitants that they were supposed to. And and we're going to see this more as we get into the book of Joshua within these next couple of chapters, and specifically when we get to Judges. In fact, uh, it's interesting, if you uh, look over in, in Judges chapter 1, verse 21, you don't have to go there, but let me just read it to you. You might just want to mark down the reference, because I'm trying to make a point here, and that is that you know God had uh, told them to drive out the inhabitants, And even when they started to take their individual territories, that they were to finish the job, they were to finish rooting out the enemy in those territories that they were to inherit. But notice what happens, and let me just read to you something in Judges chapter 1, verse 21, because this comes right on the heels of the end of the book of Joshua. We get right into the book of Judges. And it says, But the children of Benjamin, they did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. And so the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin, in Jerusalem to this day. They, they didn't push them out like they were supposed to. God told them to do it. They failed to do it. And see, whenever there's disobedience, there's always consequence. And sometimes those consequences can go on for years and years and years. And my case in point is, turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 5. Second Samuel chapter 5. Because the Canaanites weren't driven out in Joshua's time completely, This became a snare to the children of Israel a few hundred years later. So you can see how one act of rebellion and one 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 a lack on their part would cause them such grief and duress in time. And it doesn't make you wonder how many times we make decisions sometimes and and it's it's scary to think how one decision not being guided by the Spirit, one decision not being prayed over, how it can yield a disastrous result. Sometimes in the near future and sometimes in the far distant future, we see the Bible riddled with these kinds of things. And so it really behooves us then to really consider our own obedience to the Lord in everything and to really pray about everything, to be a a people of prayer, to be praying about everything that we do. We need to be a people of prayer and not be self-reliant. Well, I've done this before. I know how to handle this, Lord. Well, aren't you going to pray anyway? Maybe there's something else that I want to do today that's going to send you on a different trajectory that you have no idea about, but you know what you're doing, so have fun. See you later. <laughs> it's the way it is sometimes. But in Second Samuel chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, now this is a couple hundred years later, right? And then now we're going to see the fruit, what comes to fruition as a result of them not driving out those Canaanites like they were instructed to. Notice, it says, And the king, meaning David, and his men, they went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. So they were mocking David that he couldn't come in because Jerusalem or the Jebusite city of Jerusalem was very difficult to come up against because of how high it was and the ramparts around it or the hills. It's not an easy place. So verse 7, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, and that literally means the city of David. And so now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, and here he's got his tongue in his cheek, He shall be chief and captain, and therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David 
And David built all around from the millow and inward. So David went in and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And so you can see that now, as they go up into the the city of Jerusalem where the Jebusites lived, this wouldn't have been a problem had the the children of Israel back a few hundred years earlier had done what they were supposed to do. Do you see the ramifications of not obeying God? Can you see it? Because I didn't do this, This is the result. Now David's got to fight for this place. He's got to fight. He's got to fight. He's got to drive out the enemy. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, we know who this person was. It says, 1 Chronicles 11 verse 4, it says, David and all Israel went up to Jerusalem, which is Jabus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. But the inhabitants of Jabus, you know, again, they mock David. And then David, verse 6 says, Whoever attacks a Jebusite shall be chief and captain. And notice, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first and became chief. In fact, uh, what, what happened was, is Joab went up a shaft. And if you go to Israel with us, which, which you know, it's still possible now. Your time is rapidly running out. But um, uh, if you go to Israel, you can actually see with the shaft that Joab crawled up, and he he was able to get into the to Jerusalem without even them knowing it, and that's how they were able to conquer the city uh, very easily. But we'll walk in that Gahon Spring down there in the city of David, right there to the southern part of the Temple Mount, and you will actually see that shaft. You can actually look up into it. Uh, I remember a couple about ten years ago. We were there, and I was in there, and I looked up, and you could see where Joab crawled all the way up. It's really quite impressive. And, and so this is what happened. And so they were able to get into it. But they had to fight for it because the job was not done originally. You know, look with me also at, uh, just really quickly, at Joshua chapter 16. I'm just going to mention these. We're going to go over these in a few minutes. But in Joshua chapter 16, verse 10, uh, speaking of Ephraim now, so that was, that was Judah. Now we look at the tribe of Ephraim, and they get into their land, but notice what it says in verse 10 of chapter 16. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. Remember that, forced laborers. Hmm, I wonder where they could have got that from. That's a it's a little hook. We're going to get into it a little bit later. And also look at Joshua chapter 17 and verse 12 and 13. We're going to get into this chapter tonight too briefly. But notice what it says over in that verse in chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 17, verse 12. It says, now again, the other half tribe of Manasseh, they get into their land and they're dwelling in it. But notice what it says. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong, when the children of Israel grew strong, that they put the Canaanites to forced labor. You might want to underline that. But they did not, they did not utterly drive them out. Do you see that? They did not utterly drive them out. Another indictment, really, a sad story, really, of what happened to the other tribes is recorded for us in Judges chapter 1. You might just want to write this reference down. I'm just going to read it for the sake of time. Judges chapter 1, 
verses 27 through 35. I'm bringing this up because you're going to see each of the other tribes now getting into their land, and notice what happens. A very similar pattern starts to happen, and we're going to look at the root cause of this, I believe, in a few moments. But it says in verse 27 of Judges chapter 1, however, Manasseh, they didn't drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages, of Taanach and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Leblaim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites, again, they were determined to dwell in that land, and it came to pass, so when Israel was strong, that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but they did not completely drive them out. Notice verse 29, nor did Ephraim, another tribe of Israel, nor did they drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun, nor did they drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Naholol. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Remember that. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Acho or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Ahlab, of Oxzib, of Helba, of Aphek, or Rahab. So the Asherites dwell among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Notice they did not. It's not that they could not. It's that they did not. They did not drive them out. Finally, nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. Remember that. They were put under tribute. Where did they learn this from? Hmm. We're going to find out. And the Amorites forced the tribe, the children of Dan, into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Herez and Ajalon and in Shealbaim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, notice they were put under tribute. They were put under tribute. Where did they learn this from? Hmm. <laughs> and then the Lord rebukes them in Judges 2. I'm just going to read the first five verses to you. It says that the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you from Egypt and brought you out of the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will break my, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? And this is a, a very stinging rebuke to the children of Israel because God again is telling them, you should have done this, but you didn't. You didn't obey my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your side. And history proves that that is exactly what happened. In fact, when we read in Judges uh, chapter 1 there in verses uh, 27 through 35 of those different tribes, they didn't drive them out. They didn't drive them out. They didn't drive them out. Instead, they had a better plan. Ah, we'll put them under, well, we'll they'll, they, they'll be our slaves. They'll do things for us. And where did they learn that from? Hmm. <laughs> Therefore I also said to them, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. And that's exactly what happened. And so it was. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed to the Lord there. Sacrifice to the Lord there. So let's actually... Um, it's a really sad commentary, but you know what? If it wasn't if it wasn't the Jewish people, it would have been us. 
If we were a group of people, if we were all one ethnic group or whatever group it is, it doesn't matter what group it is. It could have been the Germans. It could have been the French. It could have been uh, anybody going through what the children of Israel are going through. And they all would have probably done, given time and circumstance, they would have all done the same thing. And why is that? Because the heart of man is bent on disobedience. The heart of man is bent on doing the opposite of what God tells us to do. Until we are born again, do we realize that there's this cosmic battle going on, and this battle is going on within your own flesh. If you're a born-again believer, didn't Paul say that? He says, why is it that the things that I don't do or the things that, uh, or the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do do, and the things that I do do are the things that I shouldn't do or something like that. It, it, he, he, was, he was conflicted because he realized that there were these two natures battling for supremacy and dominance in his life. He knew that he was born with an old nature, and therefore he needed to be born again. And the Spirit of God comes into him and is like that, is like that, that cap that gets put on top of a seething pot of stew. <laughs> it's on the boil, and you just put that lid on it. And that new nature that we have has the ability to squash out that old nature. But we have the crazy ability to say, Lord, open the pot a little bit. I'm going to open the pot a little bit. And you pull the pot out and you let some of that nastiness spill out into your life. And God's saying, oh, my child, why are you doing this? Why are you continuing to let the things that have plagued your life, why are you letting these things dominate you when I've given you the Spirit of God, I've given you the very my very spirit to convict you and to give you the power to resist it. But why won't you resist it? Why are you so easily caving in all the time? Why are you no longer fighting at all? When one little arrow just flies by your head, you cave in. Why? Why don't you get on your knees and fight this? I've given you everything. All you have to do is get on your knees and trust me, and I will fight for you. So as we get into verse or chapter 16, we get into the lot. They were going to cast lots. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that God knew. When men would cast lots, they would put in some kind of uh, maybe a name on a rock, and they'd put it in a bag, and they would switch up the bag and, and shake it up, and then somebody would reach in and pull out the name of a tribe. And then there'd be another bag that would have different allotments of land, and then they would shake that up, and they'd pull out another rock, and the tribe would get that. Part of, part of land. See, God is in control of the lot, of, of those chance things that you and I, unfortunately, because of man, we need to do things fairly. And the only way we can do that is by casting lots. And that's what they did back this t- at this time. But God says, I want you to cast lots, but I know the outcome. But you need to cast lots so there won't be any strife among you, because that's just the way man is. And so the lot fell, verse 1, to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho. Now this, this is going to read pretty quickly, by the Jericho to the waters. And you can always look on the screen and you can kind of see the, the allotment of land that was given to Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh, remember, are the sons of Joseph or the children of Joseph. So when you ever see, you see the children of Joseph in the scripture, it's referring to Ephraim and Manasseh. So... The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites at Ataroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Jephelites. 
I'm, I know I'm not pronouncing these names really well, <laughs> as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. And so the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim, they took their inheritance. So that, that's, if you look up on the screen, you can see on the, on the western side of the Jordan River, right there at the bottom, at the northern tip of the Dead Sea, all the way up, uh, about two-thirds of the way, up the Jordan River, you see that Ephraim is in, this, in, the, in, the, in the south, and then Manasseh is just north of that. And so then in verse 5, he really gets into just the laying out of the, the, the precise border of Ephraim. And it says, The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was this. The border of their inheritance on the east side was Adaroth Adar, as far as upper Beth Horon. And the border went out toward the sea on the north side. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.